He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, good morning and welcome to Redeemer Community Church. My name is Mitch Mayer. I'm the lead pastor here. And happy Resurrection Day. Um, what a day to come together to worship our risen Savior. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you've joined us. I hope in a chair nearby you found a worship guide. And inside that worship guide you found this, Connecting at Redeemer. If you're willing, please fill that out with as much information as you're comfortable giving us. In particular, I would love to reach back out to you and um, answer any questions you might have about Redeemer Community Church and in fact invite you to our newcomer lunch that we have next Sunday right after our worship gathering. On the back side of that card is a place for any and all of us to write down a prayer request. And so if there's something heavy upon your heart or maybe something you're thrilled about and want others to rejoice with you, fill out that card and at the end of our service today we'll pass some baskets and collect those from you. Just a couple other announcements. Uh, if you came in this morning on this side of the building, you may have missed what we have set up on this side of the building, a photo booth of sorts. If you would like to take a picture with your family this morning at the end of our service, just make your way out that way and you'll find it. And then also after today's service, we'll have an Easter egg hunt for any of your young kiddos and it'll be right outside on the play, on the field right over here. Let's pray together. And we'll continue. Father in heaven, we bless your holy name. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in particular today, Father, we thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, as we will see this morning, the gift of your Son, Jesus, sprang from your great love. And because he came and the work that he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, he offers to any and all who will humbly come to him the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Father, for those of us who, by your grace, have, have come to him, have trusted in him, and have known of his forgiveness, and of the peace and the joy that comes in life with him, we thank you. And we pray for any of our friends here today, men, women, boys, and girls, if they've never come to that place of putting their hope and trust in 
Jesus. Might you show them today the glory of your love and of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And today, would you grant them the gift of faith that they might believe, be forgiven, reconciled to you, made a part of your family with the promise of eternal life. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he appears or calls me home here in the power of Christ. I stand. May they be able to sing such a song today. And we'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to pull it up on your phone. I just ask you maybe not to check Facebook while you're doing that. Try and hang with us. Amazing Grace is probably the most famous hymn of all. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton wrote that song. He lived in the 1700s, died in 1807. John Newton was a former slave trader. He was a greedy and arrogant and immoral man. But he became captured by the grace of God and found in his son, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of his sins and a leader of his life that he so desperately needed. At the age of 82, John Newton is quoted as saying, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I'm not 82, only 45. But if you'll let me say, I have found the same. I found that I, myself, am a great sinner. And I have found that Christ, Jesus Christ, is a great Savior. And if I could, I might add to that. Not only is Jesus a great Savior, but he's also a great King. A great ruler a great leader for your life. Theologians over the centuries have thought about the sins in the Bible, and one way that they've categorized them is often called the seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, greed, lust, gluttony, laziness, 
anger. When I take a look at my own heart, I go, yep, 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 yep. It's been said that you might have come in this morning, maybe for the first time in church in a long time, thinking to yourself, Pastor, if you knew about me what I know about me, you'd have never let me in the doors. If you knew about me, what I know about me, you'd have found another church this morning. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us escapes that sentence. My personal testimony is not one of great deliverance, if you will. It's not one where I was deep into rebellion and sin and Christ rescued me out of it. I grew up in a good home. I had a decent respect for my parents, my teachers, my coaches. I generally wanted to do the right thing. But even as a young boy at the age of 12, I came to realize that indeed I was still a sinner and that I needed a Savior. And at 12 years old, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I trusted in Him for what He had done for me on the cross and in His resurrection. As a high school kid, about 15 years old, some guys came into one of our football team meetings and Coach Brazel said, guys, football team meeting's over, but before you leave, a couple guys want to share a little bit with you. And Paul Roberts and Kyle Ford came in and they shared the gospel with our team. They shared about God and his greatness and about us and our sin. And they talked about Jesus and the fact that he's a wonderful Savior who gave his life upon a cross for us and God raised him from the dead and that through faith in him we could have eternal life. And I remember on, in that football team meeting thinking, I'm so glad my buddies are hearing this. Because it was a message that I had already believed and I had already come to experience the forgiveness of my sins and a new relationship with God. And I really wanted my buddies to experience the same. But as I look back on it, I think those guys were there for me more than any other. One of them, Paul, said, hey, we're going to have a Bible study this Friday morning. You guys come. And I decided I would come. And I thought there'd be a bunch of us there. There were two of us there. Me, a sophomore, and a freshman named Craig. And I thought, man, I thought this was going to be the happening place to be. Paul said, Mitch, can we have Bible study at your house next week? I said, sure. He said, great, bring some buddies. And so I did. And over those next two and a half years, Paul began to take me and a handful of my buddies and teach us more and more about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and who he is for us Every day. And I came to realize that Jesus is not only a great Savior, but He's also a great leader of one's life. And so mine is not a testimony of great deliverance, but I say of great preservation. Because the reality is, I think Jesus Christ preserved me 
from lots and lots of rebellion. When I take a look at my heart right now, when I think about the sins that still linger, and I ponder, I wonder where I would be today were it not for Jesus Christ and his leadership in my life. And friends, I can tell you, without him, it is one ugly picture of pride, greed, and lust. Jesus Christ is a great Savior. And He is a great King, ruler, and leader of your life. I'm going to share a little bit today, but what I'm basically getting at is do you need someone to forgive your sins? Do you need someone to rule your life? If so, I invite you to him who died and rose again, who is alive forevermore, and who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who will be king of your life? I saw some images years ago that walked through the great story of Christianity. I want to use those images this morning to tell you the story of the Bible. In particular, the story of the Bible as it relates to men and women, boys and girls, just like you and me. On one level, we could tell the story of the Bible way up here. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. At another level, we could tell the story right down here with men and women just like you and me. That's what I want to do today. The question for you and for me is who will be king? The story begins that God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world and he made you and me the loving rulers of the world under him. That's where the story of the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created men and women in his image to know him, to enjoy him, to love him, to worship him. God is in charge because he is the one who made all things. He's the king. He's the ruler. And what's so wonderful about him is that he always does what is right and what is good. Again, he made us in his image and put us in charge of the world. Theologians call us the vice regents of creation. To rule to care for, to be responsible for, to enjoy the beauty and the goodness of all that God had made. We were to be under God's authority as we ruled the world. We were to honor Him and to obey Him. If you've ever read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the beginning of the story, it's a beautiful story. And it's an idyllic picture 
of God in heaven and of his people on earth, lovingly and joyfully relating to him as they carry out his plans in the world. We put a verse, this might be a good one. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But that beautiful picture is not the way things are today, huh? Certainly not. The reality is that we all reject the loving ruler, God, by trying to run our lives our own way without him. But in doing so, we fail. We fail miserably to rule our own lives, to rule society, to rule the world. Just as quickly as the story begins in Genesis 1 and 2, it all goes wrong in Genesis 3. Where those first people, Adam and Eve, rather than trusting God and obeying Him, turned from Him and decided to try to run their lives their own way. We all do this. We don't like anyone to tell us what to do or how to live, least of all God. And so we rebel. We ignore Him. We get on with our lives. Time and time again, we disobey His instructions for our lives. Sometimes it can almost seem like we shake our fists at Him, tell Him to get lost, tell Him we've got it covered, and do our own thing. And it's this rebellious, self-sufficient attitude that the Bible calls sin. And the result is that we make a mess of our lives. We make a mess of our families. We make a mess of our society and the world. And the whole world is full of a bunch of sinners selfishly doing our own thing, competing with one another almost at every turn. The age-old question, what's wrong with the world? The answer, I am. And you are. There is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. We've crossed out God and made ourselves the king of our lives. And the question that we have to ask and answer is, what will God do about this kind of rebellion? What will He do about the men and women whom He created in His image to, to know Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him, to trust Him, to obey Him, to rule the world for Him? What will He do when those same people turn away from Him, shake their fist at Him, and say, we got it on our own, and do that over and 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 over again. 
Just as quickly as sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3, things go terribly wrong on every page after. What will God do about the rebellion? This is where the message of the Bible goes off the politically correct rails, if you will. If you're on Twitter, if we were tweeting about this, you might say, this tweet may contain offensive material. Because the reality is, the message of the Bible is, that God won't let us rebel forever. And that His punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Man. God cares enough to take our rebellion seriously. He calls us to account for our actions because it matters to Him that we treat Him and we treat others so poorly. The sentence of God is just. And in many ways, we could say He gives us exactly what we ask for. Leave me alone, God. I'll be the ruler of my own life. I'll be the king. Oh sure, I'll pray some prayers when I get in trouble. But on the whole, I'm the ruler of my life. Leave me alone. And God says, okay. But the problem with that is that God is the source of all life and all joy and all love. God is himself love. Here's something to ponder as you go to bed at night. What was God doing before he created all things? The answer, lovingly delighting in the happy land of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one, in love and in delight. As the Apostle John said, God is love. And so to say to God, leave me alone, and for God to say okay, is absolutely horrific. Because He's the source of life, and He's the source of love, and He's the source of joy. In Romans chapter 2, Paul is writing about the sins, we'll say it like this, of others. There are some whom he is writing to who are thinking to themselves, yeah, Paul, get them. Yeah, they're sinners, Paul, get them. But then Paul addresses them and says, do you suppose this, O man, that when you pass judgment on others and do your, the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Their thought was, God hasn't judged me yet, therefore he must be cool with me. He goes on, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? 
not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The reason, Paul said, that God hasn't judged you yet is because He's kind and He's tolerant and He's patient. You have misunderstood that to think that that means God is cool with you and your own sin and rebellion. Paul goes on to say, do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but you are storing, oh, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and righteous indignation of God. Whew! The Bible says, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Dun, 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 dun. Right. That's bad news. God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world and he made us to rule the world for him in loving obedience and joy under him. And we said no. There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God won't let that rebellion go on forever. It is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul wrote, and, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." Mm. When I went 20 years ago now to buy a ring in order to ask Tara to marry me, I didn't know anything about buying a diamond, but I went into Larry's Diamond Shop there in Plano, Texas, and he coached me up. And he said, Mitch, you're looking for carrot." Color, cut, and clarity. And we took a few diamonds, and he finally pulled one out. He said, I think this one could be just right for you. And I took a look at it, and I said, wow, Larry, man, it looks good to me if it looks good to you. And he goes, yeah, but wait. And then he reached under the table, brought out a piece of black velvet, and then held it. He said, what do you think now? And, of course, he had that light that was shining on it, you know. This is the black velvet underneath the beautiful diamond that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could preach these three points with a frown on my face, but friends, the Bible, if you could put one emoji on it, it's a big smile. Because gospel means good news. This is some very bad news. But it is the message of the Bible. 
Now, whether or not you believe it to be true is a whole other question. But this is what it teaches. This is awesome. Into the darkness of this shines the bright light of this. That because of his love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And Jesus always lived under God's rule. Where you and I didn't and don't, God, Jesus always did. And he died upon a cross in our place and took our punishment that brings forgiveness to all who believe. I began that sentence with because of his love, because that's where this is grounded. God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's out of the overflowing, loving heart of God that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus was the eternal Son of God, and He became one of us. We celebrate that at Christmas. When the eternal Son of God took to Himself flesh, He became a man. Maybe you've seen the song, but never really sure exactly what it meant. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. The deity. Incarnate in flesh. That baby born in Bethlehem was God in the flesh on a rescue mission for sinners like you and me. He never rebelled against God. He always obeyed His heavenly Father and He did so with joy. He Himself did not deserve death or punishment. But the reality is that He did die. We just celebrated that on Good Friday. Jesus Christ went to the cross. And he went to the cross not because he had done anything himself, but because we have rebelled against God, turned to do our own thing. We have sinned. The Bible teaches an incredible truth that Jesus Christ came and died as a substitute in our place and for our sins. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. The one who had the power to heal the sick, to walk on water, to give sight to the blind, and even raise the dead is the one who was beaten, scourged, crucified, 
and killed. He died for us and for our sins. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come to take our place. Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. But that's not all. God raised Jesus to life again as the loving ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death. He now gives new life and he will return to judge. We just talked about Christmas when the eternal Son of God became one of us and we talked about Good Friday when he went to the cross to die in our place and for our sins and now this is Easter. God accepted Jesus' payment for our sins and raised him from the dead. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. It is the testimony of all of the gospel readers, it is, gospel writers. It is the constant message throughout the book of Acts that we've been studying. It is the assumption of all of the letters written in the New Testament that this one who came from heaven's glory, who died upon that cross, was raised to life again. And not long after, God the Father exalted him to his right hand in glory. And he will one day come again. Jesus is now what we were meant to be, God's loving ruler of the world. And as ruler, he's also been appointed God's judge of the world. He will one day return. And call us to account for our actions. But in the meantime, in the meantime, between his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven, exalted at his Father's right hand, and until that day when he will come again, in the meantime, today is a day of grace. And the message of his salvation is being proclaimed to the ends of the earth. That in Him, in Jesus Christ, in God's Son who came on this rescue mission, you can have the forgiveness of your sins and a new leader of your life. This is a new life which the Apostle John calls eternal life. That begins now and will last forevermore. We saw it on the screen earlier. This is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life, is knowing God. The forgiveness of your sins and being reconciled to God. And one of the things he does also is he gives you his very presence through his Holy Spirit. 
And he adopts you into his family. And he gives you the promise of eternal life. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he appears or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I live. Jesus Christ is alive, risen from the dead, alive right now. And in this time, offers to any and all who will humbly come to him to be their Savior and their King. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so finally, where does that leave us? We might say it leaves us with two ways to live. One way is to continue to reject the ruler and to continue to try to run life your own way. Sadly, though, the result of that is that we continually make a mess of our lives and ultimately it will lead to judgment. But there's a new way. It is to submit to Jesus Christ as the ruler of your life. To rely on his death and resurrection. And to look to him. To follow him. The result of that is to be forgiven by God and given eternal life. God will wipe your slate clean. He accepts Jesus' death as payment for your sins. He freely and completely forgives us. He pours His Spirit into our lives and He grants us that new life that begins now and will last forever. We're no longer rebels. We're part of His family. And amazingly, we are called His friends. The Apostle John put it like this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. I read Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And some very bad news. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Amen. Friends, if you and I, if you're already a Christian, if you've put your hope in Jesus, if he's the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, my message for you and me today is let's cherish the old rugged cross. Let's cherish this gospel of the grace of God. Let's never forget the love and the kindness and the mercy of God shown towards us. Let's be a humble people because of our sin, but let's be a confident people because of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, but you want Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, the lover, the leader of your life, if you want him to be king, quickly, sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry is, is the recognition of your sinfulness. That, yep, that's me. I'm one of those who's not righteous. I've tried to run life my own way. Yep, 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 yep. It's humbly recognizing that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me. Father, I'm sorry. Thank you. That's recognizing what God has done to come on that rescue mission. That God loved you and God sent His Son and Jesus Christ lived for you, died for you, rose for you. And that through trusting in Him, we'll forgive your sins and make you a part of His family. We'll reconcile you to God and give you His Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to rise for me. Please. Would you please, not based upon who I am, but, but who you are and what you've done, would you please forgive my sins and be the leader of my life? Please. Friends, if you will mean it, on the basis of the word of God, the promise is he will forgive you. And he will reconcile you to himself. And he will make you his son or daughter. And he will put his spirit within you. And your new life in Christ will begin that very moment. And it will last forevermore. Sorry. Thank you. Please. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing one last song. And I'm going to come up with some final words. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love and grace that's, that sent your son Jesus Christ for us. Thank you for his holy life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection from the dead. We, we believe, we affirm that he is alive. 
for those of us who trust in him. He is our king. And we love him. Again, Lord, for any friends here today who've never trusted in Jesus, might today be the day. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.